0: Jewish Audio on this class is presented by Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, spiritual leader at Chabad of Flamingo in Thornhill, Ontario. All right, we're in chapter 6, and we are on Mishnah number 5. At English, page 293. 293. Today's class is going to be about. What should our Torah aspirations be? Or in short, aspirations. The Mishnah begins with the following dictate. Bear in mind that we're talking about Torah study, the importance of Torah study, and why a person should make that their focus. Al Do not seek greatness for yourself. Be al made covet, and do not lust on it. So how would we understand that Mishnah? Very simply. The Mishnah here is talking about the importance of Torah study. And somebody might seek greatness and exchange other greatness, worldly greatness, for Torah study. And the Mishnah says, Alta Vakish gedula, Don't seek greatness for yourself instead, be satisfied with Torah knowledge. That's what your aspiration or that's what your goal should be. Valtach may kaved, you shouldn't lust on it. Naturally, a person follows or seeks honor. That's how we create it. And the Mishnah says sublimate that feeling. Instead of lusting for honor, what should your desire be? Increasing your Torah knowledge. Yaisir milimudach. more than your Seemingly able to learn More than your ability I say you should do Which again would seem to mean, On a simple level That a person might say I am capable of doing only so much I have my limitations I could come to a class once a week That's all I can listen to Torah being taught For 45 minutes Then my mind wanders Or any other limitation we might have So the Mishnah says Don't study Torah As much as your limitations are Yose more than your natural learning curve, more than you're naturally inclined to do, I say you should do. Don't desire the tables of royalty. Your table is greater than their table. The table here, of course, is a metaphor. It doesn't necessarily mean a table, any more than it means a position, any more than we sometimes refer to a prime ministerial position as the chair. In Yiddish they call it the benkel. You know? in, in, the, in the scripture actually, Pharaoh tells Yosef, only the chair will tower above you. Which is the chair, a reference to the throne. Right? We still have it in Canada, something called the throne speech. So you have this term, we refer to an object, the furniture, like a chair, or a table. And that becomes the representation of the formal greatness. The the seal or emblem of something. So don't seek Shulchanam, Shulmalachim, the table of the kings, of the ruling powers, of government. Rather, be satisfied with your table, be satisfied with what you have to consume, what you have to eat spiritually, with your Torah. Because your table is greater than that table, the kisrucha, and the crown of Torah, your crown, it doesn't say the crown of Torah. It says your crown because the Torah really belongs to you. It is yours. The question is whether you claim it, but it is yours. It's like an inheritance. If a great aunt dies and leaves you a million dollars, it's yours, even if you never claim it. <laughs> but it really belongs to you. So kisrucha, your crown, the crown of Torah gadol mikisram it's much greater than their crown now in case you're worried that you're going to be expending so much effort and sublimating all your feelings you're not going to look for greatness so you're giving up greatness you're not going to even lust honor. so obviously you passed over honor. you're going beyond the call of duty you're going to learn more than you feel you're able or capable or naturally inclined to you're going to give away the royalty and you're going to give away the crown say so is it worth it? it's a lot of sacrifices to make so the Mishnah says, You work for a good employer. The boss is okay. He will remunerate you appropriately. So even if you feel you're working very hard and making great sacrifices, take comfort in the knowledge that it's all worth it. This is the Mishnah, a simple reading of the Mishnah. The Bartanura interprets to to literally or Bakashah Hebrew means to ask for. But by extension it means to look for something or to actively seek it. The Bartanura says to pursue it. To run for it. The remember once noted something very interesting in the English language. When you seek public office you run for office. You don't walk for office. You don't stand for office. You run for office. Right? Politicians are very single-minded people They work 18, 25, 20, 23 hour days just to get elected. Right? So that's something to learn from that. The drive that they have is impressive. So Tevakesh Gidula means don't be like that. Don't run for it. Al-Tachmai What does it mean not to seek out honor? He says we're not talking about the honor that's outside of Torah. We already said that. But rather don't seek honor as a result of your Torah study. Just because a person studies Torah doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be respected for it. But somebody might like that. He might seek that. He's not actively going after it. It's al-tachma. Don't lust for it. And then finally, when he talks about the table, and whose table is greater, he says the first simple way to understand the table is the rewards, the fruits. The fruits of your hard work are not any more fruit than uh, than any other type of physical entity. Why do we call it the fruits of your labor? It's an expression. It's an expression, and very often we refer to something as food, we refer to the table as that which you are going to be able to benefit from or enjoy. So he says simply, shulchancha is a representation or is emblematic of the fruits, or the rewards. He says your reward is greater. And what is the meaning of yeser melimudach say, The bartender says something very interesting. Yeser melimudach, more than your learning, assey you should do, he says means you should have better more good deeds, an abundance of good deeds, more so than you're learning. And that is going to be the first point of contention, I want to highlight that in the Mishnah. This, the middle of the Mishnah, the belly of the Mishnah, that says, Milimuda milimudachaseh, more than you learn, you should do, which we originally interpreted as reflective of Torah study. The Bartanura has a problem with that. The problem he has that the word asay in Hebrew means to do. To do. You don't do a Mishnah. You learn a Mishnah. So to use the word do for an activity that is cerebral is strange. Out of place. And therefore the Barta says when it says yeser milimudach asey. There is an emphasis on asiya. Asiya means action. Doing. Lots of people learn. But they don't do anything about it. That's a problem. It's not good to have all kinds of knowledge but not live by it. In fact, when we talk about Yiddishkeit, the important thing is not only lumot, not only to learn, as we say every day in our davening, but lilamed, to teach others, lishmar to keep, vilasot, and to do. So you have to put that into action. If you don't put that into action, there's a problem, there's a deficiency. Something's wrong. And this is reminiscent of something the Mishnah says earlier. We learned earlier a Mishnah that says that we use a tree as a metaphor. And we we said that the branches of the fruits are metaphoric of the Torah learning. And the roots which are in the ground are metaphoric of deed. Something you understand is dynamic, it's exciting, it can be an exhilarating concept. Action or deed is not so exciting. It's not exciting to do it. It's exciting to talk about it, to think about it, to hear about it, to dream about it. When you get down to the nitty-gritty, you know, all of a sudden the fun evaporates. So therefore the representation is the roots in the ground. And the Mishnah says that a person should always ensure that his or her deeds are greater than their Torah knowledge. Because what happens to a tree that has a very wide wingspan? It's got lots of branches, an abundance of fruits but the roots are weak. And then a very heavy storm arrives. What happens to that tree? It's going to be turned upside down. It gets uprooted. Why? Because it's like a big sail. It catches all the wind. But the bottom line, it's not solidly rooted in the ground. So the Mishnah says, the wind comes and turns it upside down, uproots it. However, if it has deep roots, roots that are spread wide and deep, and then maybe not so many fruits. Maybe not as... The, 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 the tree on top is not so large. So the big wind comes. What happens to the tree? The tree can survive any storm. So too, a person who does more than they learn, or a person whose actions are in more and in, better enhanced than their level of knowledge, that person will survive any storm. However, if you're a great Torah scholar, but you don't put anything to action, then the going gets tough the chances are that you're not going to be able to maintain a healthy balance. So the truth is the Mishnah already says this. So why does the Mishnah have to say it again? That's question one. Question two, according to the interpretation of the Bhartanura, this sentence in the Mishnah has nothing to do with what we speak about before and nothing to do with what we speak about after. Because the Mishnah's emphasis is about learning Torah. And as I said a number of weeks ago, this entire chapter, the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avos, emphasizes the importance of Torah study. There are various realms within Yiddishkeit, various dimensions. There's the pra- dimension of prayer that's very important. And prayer cannot be supplanted for anything else. You can't come to Shul and learn, and not come to Shul and Davin. There's no such thing. The truth is, a big part of the Yiddishkeit experience is davening. You know, even in some shows where they make learning programs instead of davening mm-hmm. when somebody has a bar mitzvah where do you want to have the bar mitzvah in the learning program or in the davening everybody wants to have a davening experience it's the right thing it's wrong to try to replace or exchange one for the other as the Gemara says there's a time to pray and a time to study and they're very very different one is very different from the other when you pray it says in Hasidus you're like a child before a parent When you study Torah, you're like a student, a pupil before a master. It's a different relationship. And it's not enough for a Jew to have a cerebral relationship with God only. It's not enough for a Jew's relationship with Hashem to be academic. You have to serve Hashem with heart. It has to be a passion for Yiddishkeit. It has to be feeling. And that feeling comes from prayer. It's not easy, so So what if it's not easy? It's very hard to pray. (laughs) Prayer is the most difficult activity that Yiddishkeit asks of us. Because when you learn, you can understand what you're saying... You can relate to the concepts, and you can relate the concepts outside of you. When you do so, you're doing. Eating matzah may not be fun, but you're eating matzah. You know what you have to do. It's very defined. Davening is a very strange activity. What do you have to do? You have to say the words, but is that davening? A verbal exercise. Davening means to work with your heart. Talk to God. I don't see God. You don't feel God. No, I don't feel Him. Well, you have to work on feeling God. You have to work on talking to God. It's very hard to have a one-way conversation. And very often you feel like you're talking to the wall. So it's a challenging thing. Davening is a very, very important and difficult part of our faith. No question about it. However, it's an important part. And Zman Tfilah Luchud has a separate importance, a separate emphasis. That's not what this mission is about. That we talk about elsewhere, the other question. So, so Judy, your question is that action—if action is more important than learning—if we don't learn, we have no action. We didn't say that there should be action or learning. We said that a person should do even more than they know. And remember, Torah study is not only a pragmatic, technical halacha study—a study, but also the philosophy of Torah and understanding the meaning of a mitzvah and the deeper emphasis and jurisprudence. That's all part of Torah study uh, that's the point well taken you're absolutely correct that a person cannot decide how he or she I corrected this no Judy if it makes makes you feel better you corrected me (laughs) (laughs) no you certainly didn't correct the mission but but, but what what you're saying is important because it's enabling us to clarify we're not saying a person can make it their own Yiddishkeit a person can decide they have their own passion or their own path of action to take you have to know what the right thing is. Obviously you have to study to know what the right thing is. However, Judaism cannot be academic. And even more so then we learn, we have to do. So if a person knows a little, they have to do a lot according to the lines of what they learned. Right? In simple terms. You spent an hour learning, now spend two hours doing good things. That's the meaning. We're talking about how we, how we balance them out. Not that you should make up your own action or the action exists separated or distanced from the learning, the learning leads to action, and the emphasis ultimately is translating the learning into action. Have you ever heard people talk about academics as living in an ivory tower? It's not just an insult, although people like to insult academics because they insult everybody else. It's, it's kind of like a vicious cycle. You know, like They're snobby and look down at everybody, so everybody just looks down at them. And they live in two different worlds. But the truth is, academia sometimes is very much disconnected from reality. Even even business school, which supposedly teaches you about reality, sometimes it's very academic. The interesting thing is all the professors who are teaching everybody how to make money are all poor themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the founder of DHL actually wrote up his plan, his business plan, as a thesis, and he got a 45 on it. And he, he, left, he left school. He said, you know what? The heck with you. And he started DHL. Who's laughing? The professor gave him a 45, and he's a billionaire today. So, not all academia, even academia, which is very action-oriented, is not always oriented to action. And that's why when a doctor comes out of years of medical school, he's not a doctor yet. He's a person who has different pieces of knowledge. You want to be, you want to be a doctor? You sit up in the emergency room for 23-hour for shifts, one after the other, then you'll become a doctor. Why? You learn neverly information. The same thing is true with a rabbi. You have a lot of Torah knowledge, you're not a rabbi. After getting smicha, after being ordained, just like a doctor, you have to get thrown into the real world. And you have to sit just like a, an, an intern. I hope has older doctors looking over his shoulder or her shoulder. So a rabbi has to have an older rabbi that guides him along. And it takes years and years, sometimes decades, till you become a, a proper rabbi. When are you going to be? I'm working on it, Judy. <laughs> I'm practicing. <laughs> Judy, you know what I always say? When I grow up, I'm going to be a very good rabbi. It makes a sense. <laughs> Yes. Yes, and she said, yes. I said, no. What does the fast for? And she I don't know. I thought, well, it's not stupid. You fasted when you don't even know that the book that the Torah or the Nishnah or whatever says you must fast, I should fast it. I mean, isn't that a fast? Okay, okay. That's a very fair question. You're saying if the action is more than the learning, you have somebody like your friend who fasted and has no idea why they were fasting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's step back for a moment. A mitzvah, Which I'm going to term today As following what the Shulchan Aruch says Following what the code of Jewish law says Not good deed Because good deed is really not the interpretation of a mitzvah Mitzvah really means commandment Or something that enjoins and connects us to God And when you listen to what God says in the Shulchan Aruch That's when you become connected to God So when somebody does the right thing Whether he or she understands or does not understand It's meaningful If you eat a matzah And have no idea why you're eating matzah But that you're Jewish Tonight's Pesach So I'm eating matzah something meaningful takes place. Does that mean you should never learn the meaning of matzah? Does it mean that your experience of eating matzah would not be enhanced if you actually understood what the Haggadah said and began to appreciate a deeper message? Certainly. But more important is the deed. As we say, Hamasahu'a Iker. The most important thing is the deed. So if a person meditates on the deep concepts of any particular mitzvah for hours and hours but doesn't do it, it's absolutely worthless. And on the other hand, if somebody does a mitzvah and has no idea what they're doing, they're 50% or 80% of the way there. So yes, learning is important, but doing the mitzvah is always paramount. Doing the deed. Let me give you a simple example which is lame, but nonetheless helps you understand a little bit. Let us suppose that somebody found a, a, a handicapped person, a challenged person, and they were blind and they needed help. And they don't understand that society is a, is, a, is, a, is a synergy of symbiosis and relationship and everybody as everybody else. They don't understand that. But somebody said to them, go help that person. So they felt embarrassed. So they went and helped the person. And they weren't happy about it. They didn't feel good about it. And, and, and they, they didn't think about it before and didn't think about it after. Did the blind person get across the street? Yes. Isn't that what's most important? Same thing the mitzvah. The mitzvah was accomplished and that's what's most important. And everything else is nice. And it's good. And we should work on it. But that can't be a primary <coughs> emphasis. So now we talked about prayer. We talked about deed. And deed is very, very important. However, this Mishnah focuses not on prayer nor deed. This Mishnah and in fact this entire chapter focuses on Torah study. Yes. I, the same question, uh, before... let's, let's deal with two points you made. Point number one, you have friends who go to shul and they don't know what they're doing and you go to shul and do know what you're doing. So you want to know you better than them? Is it better to understand what you're davening? Yes. Is davening primarily supposed to be an emotional experience where we're supposed to have feeling? Primarily, yes. Is there merit to saying the words of davening without understanding anything? There is merit. Is it as as much merit as doing a mitzvah without understanding? No. With a mitzvah the most important thing is a deed. With davening the most important thing is the heart. However, Saying the words of davening also have merit and have value because they're all scriptural words. And saying words of scripture are meaningful, that's the answer to question A. Question B, you want to know if practice makes perfect or if habit is a good thing because you're getting used to doing it and someday when you'll understand it, it will be meaningful. So the answer to the question is, of course, uh, to get used to something and doing it better is a good thing. To do a mitzvah out of habit is a terrible thing. That's called mitzvot anashem milumada. Which means it's habitual, not serving Hashem. We should never try to do a mitzvah habitually. However, learning how to do it better helps. Because certain mitzvahs are difficult to perform. But, the most important thing I want to emphasize is, whether you did it perfectly, or are trying to do it perfectly, or don't understand anything, the mitzvah is meaningful in and of itself. Not because of what you will become, but because a mitzvah is meaningful, and that's the end of the story. The fact is, when God created the world, He wanted to see a Jewish person sitting at the night of Passover, and this is just a metaphor I'm taking, eating matzah. And that's the most important thing in the world. That At that moment, the most important thing in the world is that people who are Jewish, meaning somebody who has a Jewish soul living in their body, sitting on earth, is healthy and capable of eating matzah, is eating matzah that night. That's the most important thing in the world. Now, as your years go on, you get better at making your Seder. And your Seder becomes more meaningful and more organized. Is it better? Yes, yeah, sure it's better. But that doesn't mean that the earlier Sudarim when you didn't know what you were doing or barely knew what you were doing but did the right thing anyway doesn't have meaning. A mitzvah always has meaning by virtue of the fact that mitzvahs are meaningful. End of story. It's an excellent question and I actually don't think that but I'll explain to you why. So again, let me just reiterate. Your question was you think it would seem to you that if somebody has a deep cerebral relationship, a deep understanding of mitzvahs when the storm comes they would be able to weather it because it makes sense to them. Where somebody who just became used to doing mitzvahs and does a tremendous amount of mitzvahs, and then the storm comes and they don't understand as much, they'll be uprooted. So the answer is, what is a storm? A storm is when somebody has challenges. When it's not easy anymore. When it's not even fulfilling. When it's not gishmak. There's no pleasure. So why am I doing it? So the person whose Yiddishkeit is based only on logic and rationale says, one second, this is not logical. This doesn't make sense to me. God wants you to be miserable. But I don't understand this particular mitzvah. Somebody comes along, a different challenge could be that mitzvah makes no sense. Or we're scientifically enlightened. How could you be so foolish to do a mitzvah like that? And let's say that you're with all of your learning, you're not learned enough to answer those questions. Would you be able to survive that storm then? Would you be able to survive the storm when I understood it and I enjoyed it and it was wonderful and it was a pleasure and now I don't have that pleasure anymore? Or a person who based their life on doing the right thing and it's become a part of you and it's ingrained in you and you know it's the right thing and you, you just feel connected and you do it. You don't always understand everything. So the challenges are it's not a pleasure, so it's still the right thing to do. It doesn't make sense, so it never made sense to me. I still did it because it's the right thing to do. Reality is that our logic and our rationale are a lot weaker than we think. And the nature of sechel, of human intelligence is that for as strong as it is, it can be broken apart in moments. Because if everything is based on logical arguments, if somebody presents an argument which is seemingly more logical, what happens to your logic? It's gone. But if your dedication to Yiddishkeit is based on Kabbalat Ol, which is a euphemism meaning a yoke, or, or doing it even though you don't understand the way it transcends intelligence, then you can weather any storm. I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a very simple example. When tragedy strikes, where do people turn to? Why do they turn to God? They turn to what they remember from their home as a child. They turn, they remember that they were supposed to go to a show. They remembered there's something called Shiva, they remembered there's something called Kadesh. They don't understand it. It's not logical to them. But that's ultimately where they would go back to. They gravitate back to the where the way they were educated, the things that became who they were. That's who you are. And with all the intelligence in the world, with all the learning, ultimately, when the when the going gets tough, we revert always back to those basic instinctual relationships. their basic root foundation. And that's what I'm talking about. If people need uh some crisis, People need something greater than that. Because when their mind is knocked out, so they right away start looking for something that can undergird them and support them. It's a fact. I mean, the fact is, if you look when going gets tough, you'll notice that people always revert back. to, Not say, okay, I have a terrible tragedy in my family. Somebody please explain, or I, I think I'm going to go learn now. No, they're looking for an a, a emotional yiddish experience. That's what they're looking for. Kaddish doesn't make sense. What's, what's so meaningful about Kaddish? You get in your shoulder and say, i got to say Kaddish. What's so meaningful about it? Learning Torah for an hour could be much more enriching, seemingly. Habit means when you do something in a totally lacklusterous manner. When you, you just do it because, I don't know, I did it yesterday, why should I stop today? We're talking about something which goes deeper. It's it's, it is, it's partly habit, but it's, it's the habit that's not in a negative sense. Habit in a negative sense means I do it right, in an unthinking way. And this is I'm doing it, I'm aware of what I'm doing. It's very much a part of me. But not because it makes so much sense, but more because that's who I've become. But other think are part of us too that we need to do. It. This, so is emotion, yeah, this is true? This is you know, true. But not everybody feels the same way that... This is true. Say. Not everybody would feel this. This is true. I, I, only, I can only give you a metaphor. I'm using one particular example. <laughs> we can discuss endless examples of how it can be applied in, in endless worlds. But that's, you're all very wise women. Baruch Hashem, you know, Bina, which means wisdom, <coughs> I mean, pardon me, not, is wisdom. Bina is developmental understanding. Right, so Bina is Seda, Nitna beisha it so says a woman has a greater measure of understanding. And in, in today's Parsha, it says Moshe was looking for Nivonim. For judges who were not only Chachamim, not only wise, but also that they have a deep understanding. And Rashi says he couldn't find them. He only found Chachamim, he couldn't find Nivonim. Maybe because there was no woman amongst them. Right? So you're all woman, you're all very smart. What does Nivonim mean, Rashi says? Mm-hmm. To be able to be mevin davar davar. To understand one thing from another. So rather than look for my Chachma, for more analogies... You're the woman. You'll create the many analogies. You take the ideas and you, you apply One second, marker. Yes. I'm living it. My father-in-law passed away and my husband basically came home to come home to show the month and I found him in Not to say that somebody should not study. Chas <laughs> v'shalom. Somebody shouldn't. But only to say that there's a certain staying power not to habit but to deeds to doing mitzvahs. Yes, Malka. I think it's summation I just want to say one simple thing. Before the Jews got the to Torah what did they say? Naseh v'nishma. What was the first thing, the foundation of Judaism? We're going to do, we're going to accept. That's not to say we aren't going to learn. We are going to learn. We want to learn. We will learn. But the truth is, this entire conversation is beyond the purview of today's Mishnah. <laughs> because all of this is talking about the other Jewish activities. You know, there's Torah, Avodah, Gemiluk chasadim. Those are the three pillars the world stands on. Gemil chasadim is loving kindness. That's actions. We can include all mitzvahs in that if we wish to. The dimension of avoda is prayer, that's emotion, that's another realm. But that's not what this chapter is about. And you know, you have to be in the right place at the right time. So the reason we did all of this discussion is by contrast. okay? And the emphasis, and I want to get back to the point of our Mishnah, is Torah study, the importance of Torah study. And the truth is, that when we emphasize the importance of one area, it's not to diminish another area. It's not to say, we talk about the importance of Torah study, it's not to say, well, everybody, don't bother coming to sholz, waste time davening, you don't have to do anything. Mainly anything is learn. No, we're saying, in some way, you have to learn even more or do even more than you learn. And in some ways, prayer is paramount. The reason we focus on why something is important and we highlight its superlative qualities is to make it better. To enhance our relationship with it, not to diminish from something else. A simple example, some of you have more than one child. So when you have more than one child, you love each child. And when you extol one child's virtues, you don't say, I'm extolling this child's virtues and therefore I dislike the other child. No, now I'm focusing on this child. And it's this child's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah or wedding. So I'm talking about the wonder of this child. And what this child has brought to my life. And, and uh, you know You don't really have to get up by somebody's bar mitzvah And say So and so is good His brother is okay too But we're not talking about his brother now Now we're talking about him So we're going to don't have to say that It's self understood This is his bar mitzvah We extol his virtues Now this is the bar mitzvah Of Torah learning That's what this Mishnah is, okay? is So the focus here is Torah learning And therefore The bar answer Or interpretation of this Mishnah Leaves us asking for more What does leave Asking for more? Asay Which means action Doesn't seem to jibe with The essence of this Mishnah so, in order to better understand that, the Rebbe introduces a very interesting concept that's brought down on And when we understand that concept better, and then we revisit the Mishnah, a new picture or a deeper image begins to emerge. <coughs> Within Torah study itself, there are two types of Torah study. There are many, many more types of Torah study, but we're going to divide. The nomenclature we're going to use now is academic Torah and practical Torah. Academic Torah will include anything that does not impact an actual halacha, That does not change the way you do something. We can call that, that's all academic. That can range from the range of Talmudic jurisprudence, to the mysteries of Kabbalah, to the homilies of the Medrash, to the ideas of Musar, which talk about action but do not impact the halakha. That's, I'm not saying it's not relevant. Chas <laughs> v'shalom. Academic Torah is very relevant. It's relevant because if you're not a London, if you don't have a deep understanding of the jurisprudence of halacha, you can't understand the halacha. You can't go to the rabbi school and just learn halacha. You know nothing then. First, you spend ten to fifteen years learning Talmud, and only after you understand the depth of Talmud, then can you begin to approach the Shulchan Aruch and say, okay, so now I have to learn the halacha. A rabbi is not supposed to memorize a, a law book and say, okay, I memorized the book. The the real focus of learning is to understand what's behind it. When you understand what's behind it, when you read the halacha, you already understand. Where the halacha is coming from What the halacha is saying And what the halacha will do One way not the other So all the academic Torah Which by the way Is most important The the largest amount of Torah study For any scholar Is academic It's very very rare That a person should spend Most of their time on halacha And even if they do A. They would have had to have spent Decades before Primarily immersed in Academic areas of Torah And B. Until they arrive at the halacha There's a great deal of Academic layers to get through so there's something called La'asuke Shmaitza Aliba de It's a Talmudic expression, which means we learned a page two or three of Talmud. Various discussions. Numerous ways of analysis. Okay, now let us take all of these academic incredible ideas and let's boil it down to a simple essence. Is this kosher or not? Sometimes people learn halacha, they have no idea of how it impacts. An example, there are laws in the Torah called Tweifer. Everybody knows the laws of treyfar? No, you think it means laws of not kosher food. No. that's a lo- Laws of trefa are the laws of animal intestines. Because if an animal has a punctured intestine, we say it cannot live more than a year, possibly. So the, the inside, the inner organs of the animal, have a special halacha, very, very detailed, very wide swath of halacha, called Hilchus trephas the laws of trephas And it's very difficult halachas to study. Because you're talking about Anatomy, and you're not even using English, you're using ancient Hebraic terms for anatomy. It's, I mean, the Chachaman knew what anatomy of an animal looked like. They, they, they cut open animals all the time, and they, they, you have to learn the halachas, you have to actually cut open animals, start looking inside the kishkas. When I, when I was learning the laws of Teifas, I actually went to a slaughterhouse, spent a few hours there, and then they sent me home with a set of lungs. Right. And this is in Argentina, and the rabbi says, Blow up the lungs. I said, Are you kidding? Blow up the lungs? I'm like, it's lungs on the table and I got the trachea on my hand he goes blow it up I got to blowing this up he goes I'm leaving then it's not ok one second and my friend and I actually took turns blowing up a cow's lungs let me tell you man these things they breathe I mean, the lungs are like this they're huge but only when you sat and blow up the lung now I understand the laws of, of uh, now I know what a lung is I spend those few hours examining a lung and see what was right and what's wrong do you understand what the Allah is to so tell a story once there was a, a rabbi who was learning about a, a part of the animal called the kurkavad which is a specific part of the animal's intestine. Not in modern Hebrew. It's a different part. So, he never had a question about it. And finally, some, somebody brings a question. In those days, you, you had a problem. You went to the Sheikhit, You bought your chicken. Sheikhet, then you brought it to the rabbi to see it was kosher. Right? So, she comes to the rabbi with the chicken. And the rabbi says, what's the problem? He's looking at the chicken. And he sees a problem with something and he doesn't, something rem- thinks he remembers something but can't figure it out. And he's looking. And so he says, oh, he says This is the halakha Korkovan This is the Holy Korkovan I've been learning About for years I finally am seeing it This is the problem That I isolated In other words It's possible To learn Halachas But it has nothing To do with Practicality The vast majority Of Torah scholars Are not experts In taking The idea And ruling In a specific way That job Is specifically Assigned to rabbis And specifically Within rabbis To a rav, To a med-e-helav. And there could be a city with a hundred rabbis and five murdering up. Meaning rabbis who are experts. So the average rabbi will know basics. But when it comes to a very serious issue, and when it comes to something which is novel, and not typical, not talked about, and you need to really look into it, because sometimes there could be three or four experts in the world. We have major issues that are dealt with by halachic experts whose job is to take new situations and to apply them to halacha today. There's a rabbi, he's a very, very old man now. I don't know if he's still active who was the rabbi of the Shari Tzedek Hospital, Rabbi Waldman. And he wrote 19 volumes of halachic responsa dealing with modern questions, modern medicine, medical questions. Taking Torah, and taking it, Torah out of the box, and answering these questions. That He is, or at least was, the preeminent expert on medical ethics. Any question of halacha, invariably, would always be referred back to Jerusalem, to Rabbi Waldman. Rabbi Shaka told me there was once a very serious Shiloh here, many years ago. And they didn't know what to do. Shiloh with a child, it's a question of an abortion. The child wouldn't live. Very, very serious question. And they, the group of rabbis sat down here and researched the question. They didn't know what to do. So they wrote a the letter to Rabbi Waldman. So he wrote back that there's a, a Torah luminary, a Torah genius in Toronto. His name is Rabbi Price. Some of you may have heard of Rabbi Price. He said he's, he's only going to offer his opinion if Rabbi Price agrees to offer his opinion. And you see how this took weeks till they resolved this issue. But you see how the rabbanim take every little thing so seriously, and everything is examined. And eventually, there was a long article written with the details of this question. Of course, doesn't no names, a question like a subject, and how the various issues in halacha, and how the various rabbis collaborated, and they brought the halacha down again to invoke the Talmudic expression La suke alibi to to bring down a idea according to halacha. It's a very great challenge. So we're going to call that that's like the, the a very lofty type of learning. In fact it's called halakha is called Kisra Shaltah, the crown of Torah. In a way it's the most powerful concept in Torah because it's a Torah that's most relevant and changes the world. Our sages tell us that there's a an expression, a scriptural expression that says, Haliches Isalam, the ways of the world. And there is a, one of the methods of biblical exorcises. That we are told that certain words in the Torah can be read with different vowelization. That method of learning is called al-tikri. Don't call it this, call it that. So there's an al-tikri that's attached, an al-tikri methodology or lesson attached to this word haliches. It says (laughs) haliches el the ways of the world, al-tikri. Don't call it halichot, ela halachot. In other words, halachot are the way of the world. And halacha actually impacts the way and things that happen in the world. We say this every day in our davening in the morning. We also say, I'll banayich banayich. Don't call it my sons, call it the ones who build for me. Because those who are in gross and Torah study actually build the world in a spiritual way that we may not be able to see or quantify. That's correct. <laughs> to go. The way in which we go. Absolutely correct. So now we have this very, very lofty concept in Torah and it's possible that somebody should say I don't just want to be a scholar I want to be a Rav I want to tell people what to do I want to deal with practical issues be a big boss you be the one who arbitrates you be the one who decides so the Mishnah says a fascinating thing that should never be the purpose for your learning don't look for that if it comes your way, it comes your way. If there'll be nobody else who's able, then you'll have to deal. You know, there's an expression in Yiddish: It says, ish is heading fish." In simple English, in a place where there's no person, the makom ish, so a herring also becomes a fish. You know, okay, a herring is a fish. Like a, a salmon steak, a herring, a herring, is not a fish. But there's no fish, a herring becomes fish. So it's a, it's a metaphor, right? There's a lot of these wisdom of these Yiddish witticisms. So the wisdom is that somebody could be a, a small person, not a great person, but there's nobody else. There's nobody else. That's it. When, if, if you become, you're, you're it, you're it. There's no choice. You have to rise to the moment. Right? You have to grow up sometimes. But not to look for it. You never want to look for it. Somebody once came, the Tzabach Tzadik once told a chassad of his that he should become a sheikhit a, a ritual slaughter. So he said, I don't want to do it. The Rebbe said, why? He said, because I'm afraid. It's a very big responsibility. Whether people eat kosher or not, those on my shoulders, and if I make a mistake, and, so I, I would prefer not to do it. So the Sanat said, yeah, yeah. So who should do it? Somebody who's not afraid. <laughs> so a normal person doesn't look for that. says, oh, I, I can't wait to be a Rav. That's not an approach. That's not what Torah says. Don't look for that. Don't look to be the one upon whom everything is going to hinge. And all the rabbis that have come from all over And they want to know your opinion Don't look for that Not only don't do it Don't actively seek it Like the Baratunur says Lirda To run after it Not only Don't even lust it Don't even lust for it So don't, don't actively pursue it Don't even lust for it Why? More than learning That area of Torah Which seems To make you into a person Put you on the map Asay Do so, within Torah, there could be learning where somebody is, has an incentive, or is motivated. And then there could be Torah study, which is like doing. Because I'm not motivated, I'm doing it. Like sometimes doing it says, you do it, you're not excited about doing it, you, you do what you've got to do. Kabbalat ol, this idea of accepting a yoke, which is emblematic of doing, doing in Judaism, is often compared to something which there's no gishmak, there's no pleasure. If you take an ox and put him into the middle of a field, what do you think the ox is going to do? Never in history has it happened that an ox has spent a whole day walking back and forth in perfectly straight lines. If you leave him without a yoke, he runs all over the place. Or he sleeps. But you need to plow your field. So you saddle him up and you fasten a yoke onto his neck and you put a carrot in front of him or whatever you do, you give him a in a rump, and he starts walking. And every time he wants to run to the side he can't because this thing bites into him and he has no choice. And therefore he goes in a straight line. And then you turn him around and you need to do the other furrow. Another few hundred feet. He goes in another straight line. And all morning long he's plowing your field for you. And all you're doing behind is sitting and pushing, making sure it keeps going. Why? Because he has a yoke. Why? Because he looks for the yoke. Because the yoke is fun. If the cow could talk, he wouldn't say, Please, get that yoke back on me. He would say, Get this yoke off me. But the cow kind of is subservient. That's his job, he knows he works his few hours, he gets food, he gets pasture, you leave him alone later. Don't work him to the bone, everything's fine. But the idea of Kabbalah at all indicates something from which there isn't so much passion. There isn't so much fervor, there isn't so much excitement. I do the right thing because it's right. Nasa, God says to the Jewish people, I have a Torah for you. It's got many, many laws. Okay God, okay, okay, Nasa, what are going to do? We'd love to be fervently engaged in Torah. We'd love to have a passion for it and that will only come through learning. If you don't know what you're talking about, you don't have a cerebral appreciation, you will not have a passion. But after the assay, first we need to do it without the passion. We need to be agreeable. We need to be amenable to accepting that idea. I recently sat down with a chassel in college. They wanted me to do the wedding. So that's fine. I explained to him, I'll do the wedding, but you have to understand that when you stand under a chuppah and you're going to be Actively accepting or walking into holy matrimony—that you know what it means, holy matrimony. I said the kedusha. Kedushin means that you're going to live your life together. That Hashem wants you to live it, and Hashem wants that times you should be together and times you should be apart, and that and that, and that, that you should go to mikvah, told and that it's a joint effort and together you should be doing this mitzvah. That's how you should live. That's what Hashem wants from you. It's very nice, but we're not we're not there. We like other parts of Judaism. So I said, look, that's fine. I don't judge anybody and do as you please. But don't expect me, you can't ask me to stand under your chuppah and to make a bracha and to try to invoke holiness when you don't believe what I'm saying. I said, I'm not judging you, do as you please. But please don't put me in a position. said so just like you want me to understand you, please understand me. I'll be happy to attend the wedding as a guest. I'll give you a wedding gift. I'll dance at your wedding. I'm very happy. But understand that I also have a certain amount of, of, of moral ethics I have to adhere to. And understand that me as a rabbi, I take a wedding very seriously. And I sweat before I do a wedding. And I worry before I do a wedding. It's not a simple thing. So if you want to put that responsibility on me, you have to at least make the commitment that you're going to learn about it. And make promise me you're going to seriously consider it. So, but we don't have a... That's not enjoyable. It's not something we, we appreciate right now. Said, so, Okay, I understand that. I, I fully understand that. I'm not asking you... I'm, sorry, I'm not going to send a private IT house. I'm not going to follow you around for the next six months. I'm asking you to be open-minded to be, say I'm ready to consider accepting this mitzvah. I'm ready. Let me find out what it is. And you're rejecting it, oh, I'm not rejecting it. I'll show sure you what. We're just not doing it. not doing it is rejecting it. So before you reject it, understand <laughs> what you're rejecting. You don't even know what you're rejecting. You don't even know what it is. Find out what it is. Try to understand it a little bit. Promise me that you'll give it consideration. That's all I'm asking for. Visit the mixture. once for the chasna and promise me you'll give it consideration. If you do that, I'm very happy to do your chasna. I'll be honored. Otherwise, I'm understanding you understand me. In other words, the first thing we have to do in a better mitzvah is be ready to accept. You have to be ready. Don't say, I'm rejecting. God doesn't want this. God does want this. It's part of His Torah. That's the only reason you came to me, I said, because I'm a rabbi. I represent Torah. So then you have to be willing to understand or willing to listen to what the Torah says. Understand what the Torah says. Find out what the Torah says. Try to make a commitment to do it. And then, hopefully, Hashem will help and everything will go well. That's not my business any further. So the concept is again it has to be open minded to accepting what Hashem wants. That's the first thing. First thing, whether I like it or don't like it, what does Hashem want, and I want to try to do it. Once a Jew does that, then we can move on forward. That's the foundation Yiddishkeit is built on, <coughs> and that foundation expresses itself in various ways. It has various manifestations, and it's not all or nothing. And if somebody does a certain mitzvah, beautiful, Baruch Hashem and I'm not, I'm not who am I to judge and say who does, does, doesn't do that's not my job that's why I don't like doing weddings because it puts me in a funny position I have no choice when I'm asked to do something I can only do it by what I believe is right i would be much happier not to do the wedding I don't look for weddings I, I actually one of the strange rabbis who hates doing weddings because of this well I hate the meetings before anyway I said please don't tell me first time promise me you're going to be open minded I have so to say no. Yes, many How times. Sure. I have no choice. Said, for one. Yeah. And I, don't think I, I can't, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not God, and I'm not God's policeman. I can't look to find what they're going to do after. I have a sacred obligation, A, to teach them about it, to make sure they're aware of it, and to, to make them be interested in making a commitment to want to do it. But if somebody tells me clearly, I'm not doing it, Forget about it. I'm not going to a mikvah, I want you on the chuppah. I say I have to respectfully, you have to, you know, decline. Since I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're all good comments, but this is, Iris, right, this is a very good question because because clearly everybody who goes to rabbinical school is looking to be a rabbi, clearly, right? So if everybody, how can you say? How can I read the Mishnah that says? Clearly, al tivakesh that's what I just did for the last twenty years of my life. So I, the answer is that's why I preempted it, saying I kind have of a city with hundred rabbis and two or three murder heder. Murder he means a rav who is a halachic expert, and that's not something that happens in five or ten years. Halachic experts, there's two or three halachic experts in the city of Toronto, real halachic experts, and those are the rabbis that all the other rabbis in the city call and consult with, and they're actually consulted with from across North America. Right? That's not something. That a person should look to, say, you know, you know, you have to like prepare yourself for it or you have to learn, but never push yourself into that position. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a kind of position where a person who has the gift has to work on it, but at the same time should never say, OK, I've been working on it. It's time. Does everybody know? Should I send out a press release? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that has to people have to come to you and say, you clearly know more than all these other people. You have to be the one that takes the leadership role over there. Am my I explaining myself? Yeah, the yeah. word rabbi actually comes from the Hebrew word rabbi, which means teacher. teacher. Right. And the, really the job of a rabbi more than anything else, especially in North America today, is to teach Torah and to inspire. <coughs> right? So to teach Torah and to inspire, to bring Jews to, to Judaism. Now obviously I have to answer a lot of questions, and those come my way, and so on and so forth. But I'm by no stretch of anybody's imagination a rabbi. I'm not a senior rabbi in the city that deals with major a issues. I learn with one almost every day, mm-hmm. and I might someday get stuck doing that, but I'm only doing that because I need to prepare. You know, if I have a gift. I need to develop whatever it is. But certainly not something that I look forward to or hope will one day come. I'm very hopeful that, it will, that they will not come and that my job will always be to deal with the things I'm doing now. It's not being humble. That's the truth. <laughs> it probably won't, actually. Look, it probably won't because I don't spend 95% of my time studying I'm marketing Judaism. I'm dealing with people's problems. I'm teaching Torah. And, and that's, I'm very grateful to Hashem for what I get to do and I want to keep doing it. Right? So. All right. We got halfway through this Mishnah. So everybody must come back next week. For the rest of the Mishnah, please. We'll look forward to seeing you.